Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Hey, today, this is, a, this is an important day for us in the life of our church. We're going to talk about something that we really force the issue on. And if you're just a guest with us, this is a good chance for you to kind of see what we're, see what we're about. And we're going to talk about community. And so community is one of those words that everybody uses it, but nobody really knows what it means. That makes sense? What does it mean to be in community? It's like this, this word that for the last decade is kind of a church word that everybody uses. Well, let me take a stab at a definition of community and you can kind of hang on to it or not. I think community is a, is a group of interdependent people, a group of interdependent people that care for each other and challenge each other toward Christ-likeness. That's what I would say community is. And so we believe in that here. In fact, uh, we're going to put this up on the screen. For the last 15 years here at New Vision, nothing has changed. This is our process. Uh, this is how we see church. It's just so simple. We did change the artwork up a little bit. Just, But we believe, as Nick taught last week, that first base for us is worshiping. We believe that something happens when God's people gather to worship the Lord that can't happen in any other venue, and it prepares us. What happens in here prepares us for what happens out there. Second base for us is, is, is connecting in community, finding, finding a group that you can live your life with interdependently, not independent and not dependent, but interdependent with those folks, caring for them and challenging them towards Christ-likeness. And then serving, finding that, that one thing that God's equipped you and gifted you to do for the glory of God and, and using that gift there. And then going is when we really talk about how we really take the gospel one-on-one to another person and share the truth of who Christ is. So that, that's what we're doing in this series. And, and we really believe that uh, you belong here. This is a place where you can belong. And I hope that today you're encouraged because I think the secret to life is going to be unveiled in this passage today. I think the secret to your marriage, you're going to see it in this passage today. I think the secret to every type of anxiety and burden and difficulty and struggle you have, I think we're going to see, we're going to see the answer to that today. It's just whether or not you'll apply it. Because here's what we're going to talk about. It's expensive. Like community costs something. I, I want to be honest. We're going we're gonna to just share the fine print here, and most people aren't willing to pay the price. But today we're going to talk about the cost of community. If you want to break through, we really believe here's what it's going to cost. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 41. And if you're here today and, and you've never really studied the Bible, that, that's okay. That's what, there's a place for you here. Uh, you don't have to be somebody who knows a ton about the Bible. You don't even know where Acts is. Don't be embarrassed about that. There's a table of contents there, uh, and you can find it. It's in the New Testament. It's kind of weird. The New is after the Old and the way the Bible lays out. But any, anyways, but the, the book of Acts is about the first followers, the apostles, the first people that were called out by Jesus, spent three years with him, ministering, watching him perform miracles. They saw his crucifixion, his resurrection. He ascends into heaven. And then after Jesus is ascended into heaven, here's this group of men empowered by the Holy Spirit who began this thing we call church. And we're going to get a chance today to see how they did it. And I think we can really learn a lot from that. So let, let's look. Picking up in verse 41, and I'm excited because uh, we have a series coming up. We're going to work through the whole book of Acts, so it's going to be really a cool deal. But we're just taking a snapshot today. In Acts chapter 2, so Jesus has ascended into heaven, and now the church has begun. 
And it says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So who preached? Simon Peter preached. Well, what's the big deal about Simon Peter? Well, Simon Peter was a man that three times when Jesus is being arrested, three times he denies that he even knows Jesus. And a couple months later, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's preaching in Jerusalem, the same city where Jesus was crucified, this powerful message, and over 3,000 people repent of their sin, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are baptized and the church begins. Now, now let me say this because there's a, there's a, a lot of a lot of criticism. People say a lot of different things about church. A lot of times people say, well, I don't, I don't believe in, I don't really like a large church. I don't, I don't believe that a large church is a biblical model. Well, here's what I would say to you. You wouldn't have liked the first church because the first church was a large church. I mean, there were over 3,000 people in one day who came to faith in Christ and were brought in to, to the first church. Now, secondly, look at verse 42. It says that these new believers in this first church in Jerusalem, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that word devoted is going to be a really important word for us today. That was a single-minded, desperate commitment. Right, you have to understand it's a little bit different culture. In the first century, these people who were following Jesus, it wasn't a popular thing. Living in the South today, I mean, let's, let's be honest, nobody's going to receive any criticism from really going and worshiping today. It's, it's really kind of, you know, still culturally somewhat popular. These people were having to leave their families, leave Judaism, and, and leave their families to be followers of Jesus Christ. It cost them, many of them, family connections, business connections, and on and on. And so they were so devoted, so desperate for the teaching of the apostles. They were so desperate for worship gatherings like this that they, they had this single-minded, life-or-death devotion to it. Not because they had to, but they wanted to. And they weren't just devoted to gatherings like this. They were devoted to fellowship. Now, that's another word that is misused. When we think about fellowship, we think about, you know, hanging out after church and, and grabbing some food. We think about ice cream socials growing up. We, we think about fun things. That, that's not what the word fellowship really means. It says they were devoted to, to fellowship. Uh, there's a quote here that I want to share with you that gives us a little bit of a definition. David Mathis has a quote on fellowship that I, I think is pretty cool. He says, true fellowship is less like friends gathered to watch the Super Bowl and more like players on the field in blood and sweat and tears huddled in the back field only in preparation for the next down. That's what fellowship is. It's not like going over to somebody's house and watching a ball game. It's getting in the game. The word koinonia is the Greek word we get for fellowship. It means things that we have in common. Well, these first believers had these things in common. Number one, they had a real vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. They shared that in common. They were brothers and sisters because of their relationship with Christ. And that meant a lot to them because they had lost their brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers many times because of their faith in Christ. Does that make sense to you? So they, they saw it a little bit differently than, than, than we saw. What they shared in common is they wanted to be more like Jesus tomorrow than they were today. They wanted to help each other to grow. You're, you're athletes, right? Here's one of the things I love about athletes. Athletes always want to get better, right? They want to get better. I mean, you can be a better player tomorrow than you are today, but you've got to put in, pay the price. And that's what they had. They want to be better spiritually. 
and they wanted to make an impact in their culture. That's what they shared together, and they realized that they needed to depend upon each other, so they were meeting in each other's homes, encouraging each other, challenging each other, helping each other to grow. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. That meant they, they, had, they had a gathering like this, and then they got into homes for smaller gatherings. That's what we believe too. We believe that we need to gather on Sunday and worship the Lord together like this. And then we need to get together in smaller groups and connect throughout the week. Wow, that's what the first church did. And that's where true community is. And it says that they prayed for each other. And, and we're going to talk about that today. I mean, they're praying for the challenges that each other faced to really help them. And it says, and awe came upon every soul. That's what happens when you're truly exposed to the Word of God and the people of God in a real genuine way, then awe comes over us. What is that awe? It is the presence of God. And listen, here's what we need more than anything else. Can I say this? We don't need to tell our kids to stay away from this and stay away from that. We need to lift high the truth of who Jesus Christ is because, listen, when you see him for who he is and when all falls over you, you don't want anything else but him. Do you understand that? Legalism doesn't work. Rules doesn't work. Being in awe of this living God, that's what works, and that's what they had. And awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders. Now, here's the thing about the book of Acts. The book of Acts, there's a lot of miracles, and we're going to see this today. People are like, where are the miracles today? We're, we're going to see it, that the miracles and the breakthroughs that, that God wants to bring about in your life, he is still doing that, but it's all a part of community. That's where God does. And so signs and wonders were being done through the apostles and all the believers. Look at verse 44. And all the believers were together and had all things in common. So there was unity there. They didn't, it, wasn't mean, it didn't mean that they had all the same preferences about food and art and culture and music, but the most important things, the truth of who Jesus was, the truth of who they were in Christ, and the truth of what their mission was, they were on the same page with that. And that's where God blesses. And they were willing to sell their possessions and belongings and distribute to the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were very generous. And it was a generous church because God had given them everything. So they were generous to others. And day by day, look at this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. So they were gathering to hear the word taught then they were gathering in homes to kind of talk about what was going on in their life and how to live that out. It says that they received their food with glad and sincere hearts. Look at verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. I, I love this, and I, I got myself in trouble a little bit on Thursday night with this. Some Christians I know are just, they're just weird. It's not spiritual. They're just weird. They say goofy stuff. They do goofy stuff. And so the culture believes that all Christians are weird. Jesus hasn't called you to be weird. He's called you to obey him, follow him, and that's a different life. I mean, we live different lives. But these first followers, they had favor with all people, with lost people. Why? Because there was something real about them. They genuinely cared about other people. There was integrity. They had true community. They were generous people. And, and so God blesses and, and adds to their number day by day, meaning other people want that. Other people wanted what they had. And so you see this explosion. So let, let's look today. If you have your notes, let's go ahead and take those out. And I want to share three things. I think this is the cost of community. And if you're here today, would say, okay, this is a community talk. I've heard you give a community talk about 100 times here. I know what you're going to say. No, you don't. I've never preached this message before. Well, Thursday night and, and just the service before this. So you got me on that. But I'm going to say some things in the next few moments that I have previously said that were wrong. 
I don't think I've said some things that are completely right about this, so this isn't uh, old material uh, for you, so hang in there. Here's the first cost of true community. True community will cost you your only child mentality. Now, if you're an only child, again, this is an illustration, this is a metaphor, good for you. You're winning if you're an only child. Christmas, you get more gifts. Good, go, go. You're going to have to take care of your parents by yourself one day. But anyways, that's for later down the road. That's down the road. (laughs) Pay me now or pay me later. Something happens to us when we're born again and we live like we're only children. Can I tell you something? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me. This is true. You're not an only child. You have been born into a family. Do you understand that? You are not an only child. You've been born into a family. And here's what I hear as it relates to community a lot of time. Well, I don't, I don't need that. I understand it's, it's good, and, 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 and I understand why folks need community, but I'm a Murfreesboro guy. I grew up here. My parents are here. My sister, brother, brother-in-law. we got an extended family. i got people to take care of me. I think it's good that you all have community. I'm not making this up. These are what people have told me. Okay, all right? They say, you know what? We have people to care for us. I think it's great the church offers this because there's so many people moving into our city from other parts around the world and they don't have extended family, so they need community. I don't need it. Can I say something to you? You're living like an only child. You're thinking like spiritually an only child. You have been born into a family. Now, um, I want to do something for just a moment that I think is very important theologically. And some of you say, well, I don't like theology. Theology is boring. Well, you can't, you can't behave right until you believe right, okay? So this is the thinking portion of the message. Is that okay? You got to think a little bit. Uh, look at, and, and my job is not to entertain you, right? My job is to open up the Word of God and let's see what God has, God's Word has, has to say because that's the only thing that will change us. Look at verse 47 again, the second part of it. This is the first church. And it said, and the Lord added to their number day by day, meaning people, watch this, people who were dead spiritually had put faith and trust in Jesus Christ and had become alive. They were born again, right? Day by day, those who were being saved. Now, let me tell you something I think our day needs to hear. Christianity from its beginning has never been nominal or solitary. Now, wait a minute. I don't want to confuse you. Christianity has never been nominal. What what, what did I mean? People, people weren't added to the church before they first of all had been born again spiritually. Does that make sense? We have so many people in the South that are members of a church but have never been born again. That's what I would call nominal Christianity. You're a Christian because your mom and dad were were a Christian. You're a Christian because you attended a church. And so we think that the South is full of that. I think it's the biggest cult in the South, the cult of cultural Christianity. The first church, you didn't belong to the church until you were born again spiritually. Does that make sense? That was, that was it. And then secondly, here's another thing. When you were born again spiritually, you were placed in a body in the church. We live in a culture today that is anti-church membership. Now, I'm going to push on you a little bit. And you might say, well, well, well this, is just, this is just like a hard sell for, from you. No, 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 it's not. It's biblical. You are not an only child. 
you were born and you need to be placed in a family. If you're born again, you're placed in a family, a church family. It doesn't have to be this one, but you need to be in a Bible-believing church. That is biblical. And if, if, if that's you, if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I have never taken that next step to be united. This is a place that I'm going to serve. It's not a perfect place. I think it's biblical. I, I, I think you need to connect as a member of this local body of believers, or if not, find a place that you can connect because you had never, you were never intended to live this thing out in, in, in solitary as a part of a family. I mean, you got, you're volleyball players. Like if somebody came up to you and said, you said, what sport do you play? I mean, you seem tall, you look athletic, what do you play? Well, volleyball, who do you play for? I don't. Just myself, solo. I do one-on-one tournaments all around the country. Maybe they have them, I don't know. That would be tough, wouldn't it? They don't. That would be awkward. They would, see, that would be weird for people. They'd be like, who's your team? But that's the way it is spiritually. Like, who are you with? What body are you a part of? Well, I'm not a part of a body. Well, see, you're acting like an only child. Now, you see, here's the mistake I've made. I have fostered that only child mentality here at New Vision, and I'm sorry. I've made a mistake. Listen, to, I'm trying to apologize, and I'm trying to correct it. I've told you before, don't take me seriously. Take the Word of God seriously. Because I don't take myself seriously. I take the Word of God seriously right? I have said before, you need to be in a group so that you can be cared for. And that's true, but that's not the full truth. And that's why many of you said, I'm already cared for. I don't need that. Well, here's what you're missing. You're living like an only child. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Watch this for just a second. Here's the point I'm making. Paul says this to the church at Rome, I long to see you in verse 11 of chapter 1 that I may impart some spiritual gift to you to make you strong. Look at verse 12. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You know what he's saying? Being involved in a community is not about what you get from other people. It's about what you give and what you bring to the table. So those of you, those of you who are saying, you know what, I don't need community because I have a group of people who are taking care of me. That's not true biblical community. Biblical community is you being involved in a person's life and you imparting something to them. And you might say, well, I don't have anything to give. Let me just stop you for a second. If you're here today and you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How many of you here today, well, let's just do this. This is kind of weird. How many of you today would identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ? Could you just I identify myself as a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? Well, here's what I know. If that's true about you, the third person of the Trinity dwells inside of you. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. So what does that mean? You have something to bring to the table. And so a part of community is you being there and encouraging, challenging, loving, sharing truth, letting your life be interdependent with another life. That's where change happens. It's incarnational. That's such a part of it. There are 59 one another statements in the New Testament. Encourage one another, correct one another, uh, be hospitable with one another. There are 59 direct commandments in the New Testament. I don't think you can really live out apart from being in biblical community. Here's the other thing I hear from people. The first is, I don't need that. Well, what I would say to you is other people need what you have. Don't be selfish. Don't live like an only child. And secondly, can I just say this? I know we're running out of time. It, I get real nervous when someone says, I don't need community. Let me tell you, life happens. Life's going to happen to you. And if you don't have a group of people around you who love you and encourage you, praying for you and going to hold you up, it's going to end bad. Here's the other thing I hear. Well, 
You know what? We've tried groups more than anything else at New Vision. I've hear, I hear people say this. We've tried groups and we couldn't find a fit. And here's what I've said wrong. This is the second thing. How many times do you go and listen to a message and a preacher tells you multiple things he said wrong? Right? I'm telling you, I said this wrong. I have told you for years that finding a group is like dating. How many of you have heard me say that? Good, not many of you. You forgot it. Good. Well, you got to go around. You got to find a group that's a good fit. So we talk about, we, we want you to date. We want you to find a group that's a good fit. Here's the problem with that. There isn't a perfect fit. Why do we believe that we can get in a circle with eight or ten broken people and we think that we're going to like everybody there? You're never going to find a group where you like everybody there. People in my group, not everybody in my group likes me. I don't like all of them. <laughs> Some of the guys in my group are like, I hope that's not me. Isn't that, isn't that, that's, that's kind of funny in marriage. Like here, here's what we think about in marriage. I, when I meet with young couples, they think, well, you know what? We just thought once we got married, you know, that's going to solve all our problems. No, it just starts revealing them. Isn't that true? I mean, so why is it that we think two broken people can come together as one? It's going to be great. No, it's going to be worse. <laughs> My voice just changed right there. I was hoping for that. It's cool. Do you see that? So, so what happens is people just quit. Well, we tried that, but there was two couples in there. We didn't like them. They were weird. They don't vote the way we vote. They like Notre Dame football. <laughs> Who likes Notre Dame? We're in the South. Right? They're, they're just different. We didn't like them, so we, we just kind of dropped out. You're living like an only child. You see, if you're part of a big family, you've got to put up with some stuff. But here's the other side of it. It's the difficult people in that group that will grow your faith the most. See, the Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, one woman sharpens another. You see, it is that difficult person in the group, if you hang in there, that God will use to probably grow your faith the most. Because that person exposes some things about me. It exposes that I'm selfish. I don't see selfishness in the mirror. It's exposed life on life. There are other things about myself that I find through that difficult person that I would not find in isolation. Let me share a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which if you're a reader, this is a great book. It's a tough book. It's a great book on discipleship. Bonhoeffer says this. Let's put this up. Sin demands to have a man by himself. Can I tell you, can I tell you the enemy's plan for you today? Isolation. Enemy's plan for you is isolation. You're an easy target when you're in isolation. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. That's good, isn't it? And so if we say, you know what? Well, I don't like, I don't like everybody in that group, so we kind of pulled out of that group. We're going to wait till we can find a group where we really fit. You won't. I mean, there will be some groups that you fit better than others, right? But if you're going to be in community, there's going to be some people there that are just different. Can I tell you, community is messy. That's the cost of it, but it's worth it. It's where breakthroughs happen. Let, let, let's look at the second thing. The cost of community. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to stop living like a spiritual only child. That's the first cost. The second cost, we're almost halfway there. The second cost of community is consistency. 
Look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Nobody had to tell our ancestors, these first century believers, to go to church and go to a group. Nobody had to tell them. They were devoted to that. It was what they needed for life. It was a single-minded commitment. They had to have the word of God or they, or they felt like they would die. They had to be around the people of God or they felt like they could not make it. About two and a half years ago, I was just feeling lousy. I've always been kind of a hard charger. I always felt like I had energy, and uh, I, I just didn't have it, man, and I didn't know what was going on with me. I would come home at lunch, and uh, I'd eat something really fast, and I would sit down in my chair, and I'd just fall asleep. Amy would wake me up and like, you need to go back to work. You're going to lose your job. I said, I'm so tired. I just, I don't know what's going on. I'm, you know, I was 45. I'm older than that now, but do the math. And I just, I, I felt terrible. I finally went to my doctor and I threw some tests. And, and so my, my, my thyroid was dying. So he said, we got to get that thing out. He says, if we can take it out, there's a chance that we might cut your vocal cords. And I said, well, the only thing I do is talk. We can't do that, <laughs> right? If I have to work with my hands, I'm out. Um, and so they, they killed my thyroid. Now, I'm telling you this so you'll feel sorry for me, right? No. Here's, here's why I'm telling you this. And so, so after my thyroid is, 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 is dead, so my, my endocrinologist says, it's not a problem. You're going to take a pill for the rest of your life every morning. Uh, we're going to get it regulated, and you, you'll be fine. Uh, but here's the thing. You need, to, you need to take it first thing when you wake up, and you can't eat for 30 minutes. No, no, no. I need to eat now. And so he says, well, no, if you, if you eat right after you take it, it won't be effective. And he said, you can't miss it. If you, if, you miss your, if you miss your pill, and my, my, my doctor, he's real chill, he's real laid back, he never looks up, he never changes his expression. I said, well, what happens if I miss my pill for a few days? He said, yeah, you'll just go to sleep and won't wake up. I said, whoa, let's run that by me again. He said, yeah, you miss your pill for a few days and you'll, 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 just, you'll just go to sleep and you'll, you'll, you'll die, in your, die in your sleep. I mean, you're talking like dead, dead, or like oversleeping, dead. He said, dead. Let me tell you something about that pill. I take it. I'm committed. I have a real strong commitment uh, to taking that pill. In fact, before I go to bed every night, the last thing I do before I go to bed, I give me a little bottle of water. I set my pill beside my nightstand, and now I'll wake up at 4 and take it so I can go back to sleep so I can eat as soon as I get up. <laughs> Winning, right? It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Who's laughing now? <laughs> That's single-minded devotion, isn't it? I got to have that. Or I'm dead. Can I tell you something? I've got to be in the presence of God's word and God's people. I've got to have community or I will not make it. I'm talking about me. I don't know about you. Yes, I do. It's the same for you. But we've got to have consistency. You ever join the gym in January? Everybody's got their new clothes from Christmas. Everybody's there. You can't go on a treadmill for three hours. What happens in February? Nobody's there. We're a culture that lacks consistency. You'll never have a breakthrough without consistency because community takes consistency. It is going to cost you time. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Here's where you are. Here's the pushback. I don't have time. That's what you're saying. I don't have time for community. And to that I would say, you're right. Here's what I would say. You don't have time not to have community. It, it, to not have community is sort of like a lumberjack. And you say, why are you? I just got back from Minnesota, the North Woods. I mean, they cut wood up there. They're real men. I'm not one. It'd be like a lumberjack saying, you know, I don't have time to sharpen my saw. 
Do you know what that means? You don't have time to sharpen your saw. Do you know what that means? You'll work twice as hard for way less productivity. Who's got time for that? So you don't, you don't have time not to have community. You see how important it is? We do biblical counseling here. We're glad to do it. We're honored to do it. There's amazing things that are happening there. I have gone through it myself. We're not ashamed of it. It's a part of who we are. But here's, just, here's the cold hard facts. 75% of folks who are receiving biblical counseling for us here at New Vision don't have community. Here's how I look at those numbers. Probably a good percentage of them, a good percentage of them wouldn't need biblical counseling if they just had biblical community. Do you see that? So here's the deal. It's going to cost you time, but you can't afford not to have it. That's what our ancestors understood. Now, the next part in your notes is the freedom trail. Can I tell you something? We're going to skip over that. It's really important, but I'm running out of time, so we're going to shoot a video of that uh, this week, and we'll shoot it out there to you. I think it'll be help, help you to understand this consistency of the Word of God and how that impacts you in your group. We shot a video out on worship last week. How many of you watched that? Eight? Good. It's good to know we're making a difference. That's solid. You see, we realize in 30 minutes there's more that we need to say. here's Here's the third thing I want to say, and then we're going to be done. The cost of community is I've got to lose the only child mentality. I've got to be willing to be consistent. The third part is horrifying. The cost of community is vulnerability. The cost of true community is vulnerability. It's about to get weird in here. Are you ready? Only five minutes. You can do this. Listen to what James 5.16 says. We looked at this verse a couple weeks ago. It's really important. James says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you know why so many people in the church aren't experiencing a breakthrough? Because we're not vulnerable. It is very rare that anybody will open up. And listen, you don't have to open up to everybody here today. You don't need to come up in front of this stage today and tell everybody in this room what it is that you're struggling with, but there needs to be a consistent group of folks, either couples, men with men, women with women, that you're doing life with, that you're loved, you're living interdependently with them, and you are confessing your stuff to them, being vulnerable, being real. Let me say this. Here's where I want our church to go. Sometimes people ask, what's your vision for New Vision? Here it is. Here's where I want us to go. Here is next level for us as a church. Would you lean into this? This church does a great job of caring well for people. If you're in a group, by and large, you're probably cared for. I call people every week who've had a death in their family or who, um, who've been in the hospital. I know, I'm, I know I'm not like your grandmama's pastor, your granddaddy's pastor who visits everybody. I mean, there could be 6,000 some odd people who are in and out of here. On, it's just no way to do it. So we believe people are going to be cared for inside a group. When I call somebody that's in a group, it's amazing what they say. Our group's been here. They're taking care of our kids. They're cutting our grass. They, I, I'm in a wheelchair. They built me a ramp so I can go up into my house. We've got a meal train uh, until 2026. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, it's time for us to move beyond casseroles. Don't quit sending the casseroles. Don't quit caring. You with me? Pastor Brady said we don't have to cook for each other anymore when they're sick. No, we keep doing that. But it's time to move past it and get vulnerable. Wow, listen to this quote from Larry Crabb. It's a great quote. Larry Crabb's book, Connecting, is a great book. He says, the future of the church depends on whether it develops true community. I believe that. We can't get by, or we can, excuse me, we can't get by for a while on size, skilled communication, and programs to meet every need. Here it is. But unless we sense that we belong to each other, stop living like only children. 
with masks off. You're not all right, and neither am I. Is that, is that true? I mean, somebody asked when you came in this morning, hey, how you doing? Doing good. Doing good. You argued all the way here, right? Kids are yelling and screaming. You said things you never thought you'd say before, and it was on the way to church. I'm not, look, okay, I'm not all right. I've got stuff in my life that's not, that doesn't need to be there. I'm not where God wants me to be. I'm not okay. I want this to be a church where it's okay to not be okay. True community takes vulnerability. To be honest. And this is what Crab is saying. Unless we love each other and take our mask off, the vibrant church of today will become the powerless church of tomorrow. So what does true community take? It takes vulnerability. You start to see, watch this, let's finish up today. You will start to see true community in your groups. If you're leading a group, this is for you. If you're in a group, this is for you. If you're not in a group, this is what it could be like. True community. Do you understand just, just being in a group doesn't mean that you have true community? Can I say that again? Just being around a group of people doesn't mean you have true community. I mean, to be a part of a great, just being together as a group of girls doesn't make you a team. You got to go through some stuff to be a team, don't you? I mean, it's not automatic. Here's what, here's what needs to happen. Somebody's got to lead with weakness. In other words, somebody in that group has got to say, you know what? Hey, here's who I am. This week, my wife and I, we've been at each other all week long. We're struggling. I shared this same illustration on Thursday night. People were texting me all night praying for you and your marriage. This is an illustration, right? Amy and I are good. I got other problems. It's not there right now. <laughs> hey, praying for you tonight and your marriage. Love your wife well. I was like, after about eight of them, I said, oh, they thought, it's an illustration. Somebody in the group needs to open up and say, man, my, my, my work is frustrating. I don't like it. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. Could somebody pray for me? Somebody needs to open up and say, you know what? For the past six months, I've been living a secret life. I'm looking at things on the internet that I'm so embarrassed. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Somebody's got to lead with weakness. Number two, the group has to agree to some safety rules. Everybody look this way. Everybody look this way. If you're in a group and somebody opens up with weakness and you share it outside of that group, God will deal with you. That's so wrong, and it's so weak. Do you hear me? I'm so over that. That's why it's not vulnerable, because it's not safe. Make your group safe. Do you understand it? If you start to bear your soul, nobody outside of the walls of this room is going to hear it. Ever. I got a group. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Do you know what that's like? People hear your stuff, you're out of work tomorrow, nobody's hiring you. I still got one more kid to get through college. There's some guys, there's a couple guys sitting in this room right now. They know what's going on in my life. I'm not worried about it because it's safe. I know stuff that's going on in their life. They're not worried about it either. It's safe. You know your group is starting to experience true community. Watch this. This will offend you. When the prayer requests start changing. 
I'm trying to make a point here. Don't get angry. You go into group. The group leader says, hey, guys, good to see you all this week. We want to go ahead and get started with prayer. Good thing, right? That's a good thing. Anybody got anything we can pray about? Everybody's looking at their feet. Yeah, yeah, uh, Brady, I want you to, uh, Sarah Beth, Aunt Sarah Beth, she's in Spokane. Um, she, she's got some bursitis, and I just want to lift that up. I don't know what bursitis is. It sounds painful. I'm sorry, Sarah Beth has that, to be honest, I am. But that's not really vulnerability. You know your group is experiencing community. When somebody says, I want you to pray for my son, He's walked away from God. He's walked away from his family. We're desperate to see the prodigal come home. Would somebody pray for him? You know your group experiencing community because the prayer requests will start changing. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, again, is it okay to pray for people who are sick? Yes. Extended family who's sick? Yes, yes, yes. But I just wonder if we would say, you know what, tonight in group, you can pray for your family. We, we ought to be praying for our family. We do that all the time. But why don't we just talk about what's going on here? Why don't we just get real for a few minutes? Why don't you just really tell me what's going on here? And here's what's going on with me, because a leader goes first. The future of the church depends on our ability to be vulnerable, because only then can the light of the gospel shine on it, the love of other people come in, and we can be healed. Now, here's the next thing. You know you're experiencing true community. It's time to go. When the group applies the truth of the word and their lives to that hurt, when somebody opens up, when somebody shares a hurt, then that week people in the group are texting them truth. And you're like, listen, well, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know the Bible. I wouldn't know where a verse is to apply that. Listen, that, 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 that's weak. Last night you diagnosed strep throat with the light of your iPhone and WebMD. You can't tell me. You can't do a Google search for some passages on suffering our addiction, our fear, right? How hard is that? Welcome to the 21st century. I even know how to do that. And then just a text to say, I'm praying for you, boy. I love you. God's not through. God's grace is sufficient for you. You guys are going to make it. I believe in what God can do. Ephesians 5 was laid on my heart. I just want to share Ephesians 5 for you and for your marriage. Read it. When that starts happening, here it is. Here's the payoff. Why would I pay this price? Because the group that has true community will be the group that begins to experience the supernatural. That's what you're looking for. That's the payoff. The payoff is the supernatural. That's what we see in Acts 2, 43. They begin to see the supernatural. Now, listen to this quote from Mark Driscoll, and I'm past time, but listen to it really fast. This is good. We don't chase signs and wonders. Some churches chase signs and wonders. We don't chase signs and wonders. Easy for me to say. But we do believe that signs and wonders should follow God's people who are chasing Jesus. Do you see the difference? You start chasing him. You start living in biblical community, and you're going to see the lost saved. You're going to see people healed. You're going to see folks who are addicted released. You're going to see the sorrowful find joy. You're going to see prodigals come home. You're going to see breakthroughs. Isn't that what you want? It's the supernatural. It happens inside of community. It's only two things that have ever changed the soul of man, the fall and grace. And our groups can be conduits of grace for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you 
have saved us and you have placed us in a family and you're teaching us what it means to be in community. Help us to live this out and believe that breakthroughs are coming in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.